Hey, if you're jumping in late, happy uh, Battle of Bunker Hill Parade Day, even though it's the parade that wasn't this year. My name's J.D. Mangrum. So grateful you're here. Uh, we're going to jump right in. We're in the middle of our Asking for a Friend series. If you haven't heard the story of this series, a series of messages, five or six messages, where we went to people who've been visiting Christchurch Charlestown during COVID-19, and we said, are there any questions about faith or church or God that maybe you've developed as you've been watching on Facebook Live over the past few weeks? And these are the questions that we heard back. You know, because we can't see God, we have to... Uh, follow Christ based on faith uh, in light of the Bible, in light of the evidence of things around us, uh, it does, uh, these become like deeply, profoundly personal issues that sometimes we're a little embarrassed to ask about. Uh, today's question came uh, when it when it came in by text. It just, it really moved me. The question was, does or should living a good or righteous life guarantee or promise that someone will also live a peaceful or fulfilling life. Now, I know, honestly, in our country, so many times when someone asks that question, they're asking out of a sense of like wanting like material blessing or prosperity. But I know this person, I know that wasn't the heart at all. This was like a deep question about does following Christ mean like existential deep soul peace is that guaranteed for a person and so we're going to dive right in today to that exploration if i can let me pray and then we're going to look at uh and have a conversation about that question god thank you for this question thank you for the person who asked it um i thank you for the heart behind the asking and i pray that you would speak to us through your word about what it means to be good and righteous and then what it means to live peacefully or live fulfilled. And God, we don't want to Jesus juke people today or do any kind of weird stuff, but God, we want to hear from you and we want to align our lives with you in obedience and in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, again, the question was, does living a good and righteous life guarantee or secure for someone a peaceful, fulfilling life. Now we've got to begin, uh, and I love it, we've got to uh, uh, first off just address this idea of goodness or righteousness. Like we tend to live in a world where we compare our goodness and righteousness to one another. Like I'm no Mother Teresa, but I'm not Adolf Hitler. I'm no Billy Graham, but I'm no Osama bin Laden or however we do this. We kind of measure ourselves and where we tend to put ourselves on the line of goodness or righteousness, like whatever the line of badness is, we tend to usually put ourselves right here on this side of that so that we're in the goodness camp for the most of us. But the Bible tells us that no one is good and no one is righteous. Now, that's pretty uh, insulting to a lot of us because we can tend to want to let our good outweigh our bad. We try to be good people. We try to make the world a better place. But let me read to you first off uh, Romans 3 verses 10 through 12 and then verse 23. Uh, in this sort of letter to the church at Rome, Paul writes this. He says, he's quoting scripture. He says, as it's written, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside, together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So Paul takes a sledgehammer to this idea. He says, no one's righteous, no one's good. He goes on in verse 23, he says, For all have sinned and they fall short 
of the glory of God. Like Now, the truth is, if you are measuring yourself against your worst neighbor, you, you might actually look like a good and righteous person. I totally do that all the time. Like when I'm losing my mind in traffic, I would, and my wife is seeing her blood pressure go up and up and up because my blood pressure is going up and up and up and I'm upsetting everything. I would look over at the guy beside me who's slamming his hand on the steering wheel and cursing and screaming and say, well, at least I'm not like that guy. But the standard that people are called to uh, compare themselves to is Jesus. Compared to Jesus, none of us are good and none of us are righteous. Can we all just agree on that? See, we commit sins of commission and we commit sins of omission. Sins of commission are sins where we did something wrong. I stole something or I cursed someone out or I lied or I worshiped another God. We also commit sins of omission. Probably much more guilty of sins of omission than commission. Sins of omission are when we could have done good, but we didn't. When we could have spoken up, we heard someone tell a dirty or a racist joke, but we sat quietly. When we saw someone gossip or saw someone being um, sort of beat up verbally behind their backs and, and we just sat there and <clears throat> said nothing, we committed the sins of omission. We commit sins of commission and omission all the time in our actions or in our words or in our thoughts or Jesus even exposes the attitudes in our heart, sort of our underlying soul intentions and says that we sin all the time and there is no one good and there is no one righteous. Now, this doesn't say, mean that we don't do good. We do good often. We're not all just evil people. But the truth is, we also do bad often. And in that, God doesn't measure our goodness or badness on a scale. He looks at our bad. If there's even one bad, if there's even one sin, one place where we miss the mark, then we would be separated from him and from his standard of holiness. And so by his standard of holiness and righteousness and perfection, then no one is good or righteous. Now, let me encourage you that this doesn't mean that it's sinful to be tempted. We're all tempted. The theologian, the German theologian Martin Luther once said, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop him from making a nest in your hair. If you struggle with temptation in an area, know that that temptation itself is not sin. It's not sin. It's little moments and thoughts and opportunities that the enemy Satan places in your life to try to get you to turn from God. Temptation planted does not equal sin. But when temptation, those temptations are watered and when they're tended and when they're given light, then they become sin. Then they become sin. And maybe not always sin of action, but maybe sometimes it's sin where we're just letting thoughts roll around in our head and gain a foothold. No one is righteous and good. Know that that doesn't mean that temptation is sinful, but we all have moments where temptation becomes more of a temptation. And in that, we sin, we wander from God, we miss his holy standard, and we are not righteous. Now, here is a bit of the gospel. The good news is, though none of us are good or righteous, Jesus is good and righteous. And Jesus imputes, big biblical word, Jesus imputes to us his goodness and righteousness 
righteousness to his children. Let me read to you Romans 3, picking up in verse 23 and continuing down to 26. Paul wrote, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I grew up hearing this verse, having to memorize this verse at church along with uh, others. Here's the good news that we're often not told, verse 24, and are justified. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Justification, it's a legal term. To be justified means to be legally declared not guilty. By Jesus' death and resurrection, Christians, Christ followers, those who have trusted themselves to Jesus are declared legally not guilty by Jesus as a gift of grace, not something that we earned. It was given to us as a gift. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. It's one of the big church words. I'll get to it in just a moment. By uh, they were whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. Propitiation, that's what Jesus did. His payment, it's pleasing, it's settling up accounts so that the debt is satisfied. Uh, in the the word itself is kind of an old, it, it alludes back to the Old Testament Ark of the Covenant where the blood was poured onto the Ark of the Covenant on the Day of Atonement. And so where there was judgment, now there was peace and mercy with God. Propitiation and paganism uh, in religions other than Christianity, man propitiates by his prayer or by his doing religious things or by his squaring up accounts. He does stuff to propitiate, to please God and satisfy his sinful accounts. In Christianity at the cross, God propitiates. God um, deals with our sin. Jesus settles the account that's the of the debt created by our sin. And so it says that God is just and that he doesn't minimize or deny or even cancel out our sins. See, sin, the Bible tells us, requires blood and God doesn't just cancel the debt. He would be unjust if he just threw the standard out the window. Rather, it also says he is the justifier. He becomes human. He sheds blood to initiate relationship and to satisfy justice and forgive sin and make a way for relationship. So at the cross, through propitiation, Jesus allows God to be both just and the justifier. It's like that kid the other day, Antonio Gwen Jr. from Buffalo, New York. I don't know if you heard of his story. He's an 18-year-old young man, senior in high school. After looting began in Buffalo, this young man went out at 2 a.m. From 2 a.m. to 12 p.m., he swept and cleaned so that when Buffalo City officials came through this part of Buffalo on the next day, they found that much of the city had already been cleaned up in that area because of this young man. He gave 10 really hard hours. Now, a man in the community heard his story and actually gave this young man who needed a car, gave him a Mustang. Did he earn the Mustang? Yeah, in one sense, he earned the Mustang. I totally agree. 
In another sense, can we understand that he didn't fully earn the Mustang? Even if we said Antonio did this cleaning at $25 an hour, he still would have only have earned $250. And yet here he received this beautiful Mustang. And I think it's tremendous. I love it. But we have to agree that he didn't earn it per se. On top of that, another man in the community came and, and gave this young man a scholarship. Again, this kid's a hero. He put himself out there and did incredible things. But he didn't earn all this. This is the gospel. When we didn't earn and we couldn't pay the debt, despite our effort, despite our intention, Jesus gave his life for us so that we could be justified. See, God is the hero of the story, not us. We are not good. We are not righteous. But he imputes to us his goodness and righteous and righteousness. Now, to the second part of the question. Does living or should living a good and righteous life, because now we understand that Jesus gives us his righteousness and his goodness, he imputes it to us, guarantee or promise a fulfilling, peaceful life. Living by faith in Christ does promise a peaceful life, uh, but we've got to be, uh, and I love the way that this guy phrased this. He like he didn't say, does it promise a prosperous life or even a pain-free life or a trouble-free life or a blessed life? He says a peaceful life, and I think it does. Let me read to you uh, Romans 5.1 if I might, and then we're going to just kind of dive into this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, going back to Romans 3.23-26, through 26, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We do have peace. We do get a peaceful, fulfilling life. Uh, John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have abundant life, abundance, fulfillment, very similar sort of ideas. But when the Bible talks about peace, it doesn't mean the absence of conflict. See, when the Bible talks about peace, it, it points more to the idea of shalom. So an Old Testament sort of very Jewish Hebrew idea. Shalom means that all is right in the world between God and man and man and man. Think Garden of Eden, all the perfection pre-serpent, pre-snake, pre-lie, pre-fruit, pre-sin. Think of all the perfection of the garden. Also think of the last chapter of Revelation, uh, how beautiful everything will be in the new heaven and in the new earth when God puts everything right. That's shalom. And God promises, Jesus promises his people that kind of peace. He says, don't think that I've come to uh, he says, don't think that I've come to like remove you from trouble. He says, take heart. I've overcome the world. I will bring you peace in the middle of your troubles and struggles. So Jesus does promise and the gospel promises internal peace, especially peace with God. And this peace shapes our worldview. Now, there are going to be moments also, let me just give a little asterisk, where we're going to feel tremendous moments of peace. I'll be honest, Sunday sitting down in that park with so many of you, I feel internal peace because I'm right with God. And so many of you feel that peace. But truthfully, I felt external peace watching kids run around, watching my kids see their church friends, watching Albie Hoger stand up there with me and help me explain communion and all that other stuff, watching Coach Coleman and Carson and Mark talk, watching uh, my wife catch up with friends she hasn't seen in a minute. 
I felt tremendous external peace. These are gifts of the gospel and byproducts of Jesus's offer of peace and goodness and fulfillment and righteousness. Jesus says in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 and then in Luke 6, a slightly different version, he says, happy is the one who is uh, who is a peacemaker, who is meek, who is poor, who is righteous, who is persecuted, happy. You know, we hear it, blessed are the, but Jesus is also saying happy, the sense of deep fulfillment that comes from being in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean there's not a good life outside of Christ. Listen, honestly, some of the most peaceful, happy people I know are atheists, because uh, to be a Christian declares, I am not good enough. I don't have this all figured out and I need Jesus. And so being in Christ uh, is a declaration that I cannot do this and I surrender. So certainly there are good lives lived outside of Christ. Sometimes people who are much more moral than me and even sometimes people who feel much more internal peace and less internal conflict than me. See, it's usually less complicated, frankly, short term to follow King me over King Jesus. It's usually much easier just to do what I want and serve me. But the the, the truth also is it's always especially in light of eternity, less complicated to follow King Jesus over King me. And so we've got to make a decision. Do we want to live for right now in this little sliver of time or do we want to live in light of all of eternity and the life after this life? Do we want to live a life of eternal impact that outlives us by decades and generations and even centuries? Second thing it doesn't mean, it doesn't exempt Christians, and this is important. The gospel does not exempt Christians from pain, loss, temptation, heartbreak. But it does promise that Christ will be with us in the middle of those things. And, and this is so unique and beautiful about the gospel, it promises that God understands us in our pain. In our pain, in our heartbreak, in our loss, there is a God who understands those things because Jesus was separated from the Father and the Father had to uh, see his son sacrificed uh, for our sin. God gets you in your pain. So while following Christ doesn't exempt you from those things, it does have it does offer a God who enters into our pain with us and in us because for the Christ follower God's spirit the bible says lives in us from the moment of salvation until our last breath at in this life when our faith becomes sight the third thing that we've got to understand about this sort of peace and fulfillment means is that we cannot manipulate God. This doesn't mean that we can manipulate God. Uh, the gospel doesn't work as some prosperity theologians or health and wealth theologians would tell you as they say that if you go to church more or you give more or you obey more, then you can, by your faith or giving or obedience, sort of manipulate God. Like if I give God $1, then he'll give me $10. That's not how this works. The, the blessed or fulfilled or peaceful life, we cannot manipulate God. This also doesn't mean um, that Christians believe in the idea of karma, where my good's going to outweigh my bad. We certainly don't believe that. Jesus died to square up all of those accounts 
So it's not about Christianity doesn't operate by karma like most of the world does. Christianity actually operates by grace where God gives us something we could never earn and certainly don't deserve. But it does mean, this does imply the idea in Galatians 6 of sowing and reaping. Uh, Galatians 6 says, whatever a man sows, that also shall he reap. Don't be deceived. Uh, God's not mocked for in due time. What a person sows, he also reaps. Listen, in your life, if you will sow faith and relationship with God and being crucified with Christ and self-denial and service and self-forgetfulness and generosity and all of those things, usually you will feel tremendous fulfillment and tremendous peace and reap a life that feels incredibly blessed, not pain-free, not um, not sort of like exempt and immune from awful things that happen in life, but you will have a perspective that comes from an intimacy with Christ that is so unique and so sweet. The last thing I would tell us in light of this is that peace or fulfillment or being blessed for the Christian are not circumstantial. They are not circumstantial. Yes, living a good or righteous life, claiming Jesus's goodness and righteousness by faith, receiving them as an act of grace from God does bring peace and it does bring fulfillment. But this is not some passing peace that's based on our circumstances. It's actually a lasting, deep, enduring peace that comes from having an identity change and being adopted into God's family by the gospel. And so let me tell you today, if you are feeling that peace, that shalom, if you're feeling that fulfillment or that abundance and you're, and you're doing so because you're living righteously, because listen, there's a temporary peace and a temporary fulfillment that can come from living very selfishly and sinfully and being material blessed. But if you are feeling peace and fulfillment as you are living by faith and living righteously, Praise the Lord. Man, I am excited for you. I want to encourage you, though, if you are not feeling peace and you are not feeling fulfillment, but you are living by faith and living righteously because you trusted Christ, praise the Lord also. Because it should cause you to lean into Jesus. When we don't feel peace and we don't feel uh, fulfillment, as, as followers of Christ, we lean into Christ and we understand that our suffering best and most identifies us with Jesus, the suffering servant, the king who came to lay down his life and die, the king who became nothing, the king who had everything and willingly took on poverty and humanity so that he could uh, secure for us a relationship with God that we could not on our own. Let me just say really quickly one last thing. If you're feeling peace and experiencing it, or if you're not feeling peace and not feeling fulfillment and not experiencing those things, it's a reminder that we need to identify as Christians with the overall body of Christ and we identify with Christians who are suffering. Some Christians in this moment, quite honestly, are, are not feeling peace and fulfillment locally. Some Christians globally, certainly millions, maybe even hundreds of millions of followers of Christ globally suffer persecution. They suffer uh, the risk of martyrdom. They suffer living in places where their faith is illegal. And whether you feel peaceful or fulfilled 
or not, I want to encourage us all to identify with the body of Christ globally. In these moments, we are called to identify when we pray. We ought to remember, God, we pray for people who don't have the freedoms we have to worship you, who suffer today for their faith. I want to encourage you. Um, I want to tell you, in closing, I want to tell you one of my favorite stories. I, I read uh, The Hiding Place by Corey Tim Boom at uh, the beginning of 2019. Rarely in my life has a book caused me to cry out loud, uh, but that book certainly did. It's In moments, it's a hard story to read. Corey Tim Boom and her family lived in... Um, sort of Nazi-occupied territory during World War II. Her family was taken to the concentration camp where many of the members of her family uh, died in the concentration camps. And there were moments of uh, deep sadness for Corey Tim Boom, but never total despair. The details of the story are frankly hard to read. It's gut-wrenching to see the emotional and physical and spiritual loss that this woman was experiencing. And yet, uh, out of that, Corey Tim Boone made this statement. This is where we'll bring it to the barn today. She said, You can never learn Christ is all you need until you find that Christ is all you have. You can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. Does living a good or a righteous life promise or come with a peaceful, fulfilling life? Absolutely. But it may not be the way that we tend to think. It may not be that we get the perfect job, the perfect house, the perfect spouse, the perfect temptation-free sort of life, and we're like, you know, living this sort of awesome music video life and everything is great or whatever. It's not that. It may be that we lose everything and find that we have nothing, but we only have Christ. And in that, in that, in finding that we have Christ, we find that life is peaceful and fulfilling. Christ is all my goodness. Christ is all my righteousness. Christ is all my peace. And Christ is all my fulfillment. The lowest moment of my ministry journey, the lowest moments multiple of my ministry journeys. But I can tell you there's this one moment where I was in between ministry jobs and I had interviewed with this one church. I was way overqualified, frankly, to be totally honest with you for this ministry role. And I sat down with the pastor and he said, JD, I can't explain it, but uh, I feel like God's telling me our church is not supposed to bring you on staff here. That was low. Uh, my bank account was beginning to run low. I was living by faith, doing what I felt like God had asked me to do, but was not experiencing any sort of circumstantial or external peace. In the middle of the night that night, I was so anxious, I actually got up and began to sleepwalk. And as I was sleepwalking, I tripped and I hit the corner of a nightstand and I had this huge bruise on the corner of my eye immediately the next day and my eye went from yellow to purple to all these different uh, colors. It was really embarrassing and humbling and kind of just a sign of the lack of peace and the lack of fulfillment I was feeling in that season. I look back at that uh, when I thought I was at my lowest and then Jesus rescued me, a church where I 
got to serve the next six years of my life in ministry. The church where I got to uh, serve when I married Natalie and we began our ministry together. That church called just a few days later. So out of that, God, have you left me? Have you abandoned me? I tried to obey you and believe you came this moment where Jesus was my peace and Jesus became my fulfillment. When I found that he was all I had, I then found that he was all I needed. The gospel offers the same to you today. In Christ, we can be declared good and righteous. And in Christ, we can find our peace and fulfillment. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for the testimony of Corey Tim Boom from the Nazi concentration camp where she was later liberated and then got to live the next few decades of her life telling that story and what would become the hiding place. I pray that we would all be brought to a point where we realize that Christ is all we have. And out of that, I pray that we would find that Christ is all we need. For the ones who've never given their life to you, God, and they think about it, maybe Sunday after Sunday, they come and they think, should I be in? Should I be out? God, I pray they would hear today that you are not offering them a pain-free existence. You're not, offering, you're not offering Christians the easy way, but you are offering us freedom from the guilt of sin, peace of mind, peace of heart, relationship with you, an imputed, uh, declared righteousness that's given to us by Jesus so we can be declared good and righteous by Jesus's life and not have to deal with the guilt and fear of, was I good enough? Did I do too many bad things? Lord, for those people who need to come off the fence today and believe, I pray they wouldn't come off into this sort of happy-go-lucky, blissful existence. But I pray people would say, Jesus, I'm turning from my sin. I'm trusting you. I surrender. I'm not good enough, and I know it. But today I receive your forgiveness and become part of your family. For the rest of us, God, some feeling peace, some not. One, we want to identify with the whole body of Christ and remember one another in our struggles. Two, we want to say thank you that we are declared good and righteous by the death of Jesus and not our own effort. And God, we want to ask that we would live peaceful and fulfilled lives in Christ and not be seduced into believing other gospels that would say it's Christ plus something else. Lord, would we live out as best we can this week that Christ is all we have and Christ is all we need. Now, Lord, for the ones today who are going to cook out, I pray that they would have a deep sense of your presence and love and pleasure in them. For the ones who are going to pray for our city and our nation and our world, God, I pray that they would have a deep sense of your love and pleasure in them. And God, may we celebrate today. Today is the day that the Lord has made. We rejoice and we are glad in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being here.